0: The text this evening is found in Second Kings, the 13th chapter, and I will read verses 14 through 19. Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died, and Joash the king of Israel came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elijah put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elijah said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou shalt have consumed them. And he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then hast thou smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. In this account, the prophet Elisha would have been around 90 years old. It had been 43 years since his last recorded prophetic act, which was sending to have Jehu anointed king over Israel. Uh, He was sick to the point that he was going to uh, pass soon. Unlike his fiery mentor, he did not go up in a chariot, but he lived a long time. And perhaps it was just the old age that was the sickness in which he died from. King Joash of Israel, also here, called in this account, Joash, coming to see him, something that was unusual. Normally the prophet went to the king, but in this case, the king came to the prophet And in doing so, he had a golden opportunity. One to rid his country of an enemy, Syria, that had inflicted heavy losses upon them, had taken part of their country. But sadly, as we find in this account, as was read, He did not take advantage of that opportunity. Now, a a true golden opportunity is rare. It can be defined as an outstanding, perhaps even ideal situation or chance to have something that will be very successful or rewarding. In fact, often they sound so good to be true that the opportunity is missed. One time I had, you you would call a silver opportunity. It was about 10 years ago on a visit to the missionary area of Romania, the Pishkan area. We were waiting to attend a service in a town where we have a church, Venator. And in fact, from that church, from a window, you can see a an old castle, a fortress, about eight hundred years old, the Niamps Fortress up on the side of a a mountain. There, so we went to visit it, and after we had toured it and had come back down the mountain, there were some little souvenir shops there, and we looked around them, and I found a large basket, and in it was old Romanian currency from the communist times and even before, from the monarch times before that, King Michael. And I found these large coins. I believed I knew what they were. They were from the early 1940s. I thought they were silver, so I started getting a few of them. Had a handful. And Brother McAvee, who's the leader there now, he asked me what I was doing, and I Told him, and he said, no, nah, those aren't silver. Not a chance." He's like 100% sure they're not silver. You're you're wasting your time. You're wasting your money. Well, it, it was just a couple dollars, so I had a handful of them. Uh, but I quit looking through that basket. I didn't go to any of the other shops. And a couple days later, we were back in Bucharest, about six hours south of that area. And so I. Looked it up on the internet. And they were only worth about $20, $25 a piece. I thought, I I knew what they were. But I I allow that little bit of doubt to cause me to miss a a good opportunity, a silver opportunity. I, I could have made my fortune right there. But King Joash was really giving, given an opportunity that was beyond a golden opportunity. This was from God, and this was a sure thing. Uh, this was a promise that would provide him and the country of Israel complete victory over the enemy. Now again, in verse 14, King Joash came to him, and certainly you can sense respect. He, he was tender. It is noted earlier in the chapter, he had done evil in the sight of the Lord, but here he was definitely in the right place. Just like we are tonight. And there he In his tenderness towards the prophet, he wept over him. And he said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. He had probably been given this story. This is the very same thing Elisha had said as he watched his mentor Elijah go up into heaven. And he knew that soon This one that he had such faith and trust in, uh, too, was going to go away. Now, in the Talmud, which is uh, the Jewish book of the law and traditions, it is said the translation of this is actually, My master, my master, your prayers and intercession have been for Israel more than chariots and horsemen. Meaning, What you've done for us is more than all of our military might. So you can get a sense of of the feeling that King Joash was having, considering now that Elisha would be taken from him. This was really for King Joash, for Israel, the last line of defense. uh, And that's how he felt about it. He he couldn't imagine uh, Elisha not being there to help him. So in verse 15, we find Elisha sensing this, sensing that King Joash's trust was misplaced, wanted to give him an object lesson, something that the the king would understand, something where the meaning to it would not be misinterpreted, but he could uh, make a, possibly a road for that king to come to God, to put his trust in God. And and so he told him to get bow and arrows. Well, the king likely had a military entourage with him, so that was easy. He got bow and arrows. And then in verse 16, we find that Elisha told him to put his hand upon the bow. Again, you have to understand how King Joash was feeling. Syria had already beaten him. And he felt felt powerless against them. He did not know what to do. In fact, he was seeking an alliance with Assyria and maybe hoping Assyria would beat Syria or possibly he could get Egypt to help. But himself, the army of Israel, he was feeling powerless. Elisha knew this. So he said, put your hand upon the bow. That was his hand, the powerless hand. And then he put his hand upon King Joash's hand. That represented God. He wanted him to understand that that God has all power. Whatever... God will do. You can trust in it. Whatever action that. God will take for Israel. Is going to provide victory for you. And so. In that manner. He then in verse 17. Told him to open. The window eastward. Look towards your enemy here. Open the uh, Open that window. And look. To where your enemy is. And now I want you to shoot one of the arrows in that direction. You have a problem. God wants you to identify that problem. He wants you to acknowledge that problem because He wants to take care of it for you. And and that's really what we're here for tonight. God brings us into His house. God wants us to understand, yes, we're, we're powerless against the enemy of our soul that, that, that might have us bound. But when we take that opportunity to put our hand into God's hand and to acknowledge that, to acknowledge what has us captive, what has us bound, God can help us to pray a prayer A prayer that will bring deliverance. And and that's what he did for King Joash. Shoot, so he shot. And he let him then know what the, the meaning of that arrow was. He said that arrow represents deliverance from Syria. And then he gave him a promise as though it had already happened. You see, that's how God sees things. His promises to you are as though they've already happened. He said, because this represents a deliverance. For you will smite Syria and Aphek until you have consumed them. We serve a wonderful God. When we avail ourselves of his promises... They're just not maybe. God gives you those promises so that you can have complete victory in him. And that's what he wanted Israel to have. But we have our part to do. You see, King Joash still had his part to do. He had to believe and trust in the God who was making this promise to him. And we have our part we come into the house of the Lord and we hear just wonderful music that is a gospel message all of itself. We hear testimonies that assure us that what God has done for one, he is going to do for another. And God speaks to us in a way that we can understand. He provides us instruction like he was for King Joash. He makes it very simple. You do not find anything in this account that was complicated. And not even that instruction that he then gave him to have that victory. So Elisha tells him to take the arrows and he took them And he said unto the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. You see, Elisha could not do this for him. Somebody else cannot pray your prayers. Young people, your parents cannot pray your prayers. None of us, our grandparents can't pray them. You have to take that action. You are responsible to fire fire your own arrows just like King Joash was. So he told him to smite upon the ground. Now, we're not sure. This may have mean that he wanted him to grab all of the arrows and strike them on the ground. Or it may have meant that he wanted him to continue to shoot them out the window. Either way, it says that he smote thrice and he stayed. There have been many thoughts about that. I'm not going to tell you all the different ones that the commentators have said. They, they really don't matter. I know what Elisha thought. The next verse says, the man of God was wroth. Wroth in here means that he, he burst out. He couldn't even contain uh, the, the anger and the frustration and the unbelief that he felt. Because here, uh, this king was given this golden opportunity to have a complete victory. Uh, here, he, Elisha is getting ready to pass from this earth, but but all oh, victories right here available for Israel, and you stopped short of it. He, he couldn't believe it. Why would you? You come and, and do everything that I've instructed you and then stop short of the victory. I read one com- commentator, he, he said this, that we should not cease to shoot arrows of love into the heart of God. So shall one arrow of deliverance after another come back from the Lord. Uh, We want to obtain the victory from God. Uh, Joash fired three times. You you see, either he did not believe, uh, he had doubt, but more likely than that, he had his own plan. I've already got this figured out. I'm going to work with Assyria and and Egypt, and I'm going to be able to defeat Syria. But no matter what he was thinking, he did not avail himself of the promise of God. He had an opportunity uh, to fire every arrow that he had and get a complete victory. It was right there. I've wondered when he, when he saw the prophet so frustrated, so angry. Why didn't he pick back up the arrows? Perhaps you felt that that I've sought the Lord time and time again. I, I just can't get the victory. Pick back up the arrows. Determine, why well, I'm going to keep firing some more. I'm going to fire every arrow that I have until I have a complete victory. And you'll find that when you fire an arrow, that's from your heart. Your heart will help you tune it in line with a bullseye to the heart of God. And then that victory can come down. God wanted to give victory to King Joash. He wanted to take him from being one who had, done evil in the sight of God and and give him a testimony that that he was a king of Israel who did good. Well, I believe God wants to do something for us good here tonight. Uh, But what he wants us to do is to believe in his promises and to take that time not just to come down and, and know that we've prayed a few times. But can you say in your heart I have fired every arrow. I don't know what else I can do. When you get there, the victory's close behind. We're going to have an opportunity to pray. The song's 480 and the altars are open.